0: And welcome. You are listening to the Deeper Listening podcast. My name is John Peru, and I'm here with my co-host Justin Bruce. We want to help you discover new music from bands that you already know and bands that you don't.
1: Now, we're not music experts, but we definitely are music nerds. We're middle-aged dads who enjoy discovering music, whether that's new music or old music. In
0: this episode, we're going to be talking about Funkadelic and the nine albums that they released from 1970 through 1976. By digging deep into Funkadelic's early and middle catalog, we'll use the idea of deeper listening to give the songs and albums that you know context, and to find the hidden gems that make being a music fan so rewarding.
1: Now this is going to be the perfect primer if you're new to Funkadelic like I was. I literally had never heard a note. And if you're a funkhead, I just made that up, we've got thoughts about the band's evolving sound, the rotating guitarist, how well or maybe not so well some of the lyrics have aged, And which albums are the best? So, huddle up. The goal of our podcast is to walk away knowing more than we did before we started, and we're going to have some fun in the process. So, let's do some deeper listening to Funkadelic.
0: So, to start out talking about Funkadelic, I think that we have to kind of set a a scene of what was going on in music in 1970 when the first album was released. Because to my ears, there was nothing else that was happening that was anything like what we heard in the first Funkadelic album. The closest thing that I found, I guess, thematically to what was going on was actually an album by The Temptations uh, called Psychedelic Shack. And And the first cut on that album had kind of a funk groove to it and had some psychedelic sounds that were happening. But that idea was quickly abandoned and went back to kind of what the Temptations were already good at and already doing. But there was a lot of other funk that was happening in 1970. James Brown, uh, not only did he put out Sex Machine, which is probably his most known album. He also put out three additional albums in 1970. So he was producing music uh, in in a frenzied state. So the Jackson 5 put out ABC. Isaac Hayes, Diana Ross, Curtis Mayfield all had self-titled albums that came out in 1970. So there was a lot of things that were happening with R&B and Soul at the time where some of the heavy hitters uh, of, of the entire genre were putting out a lot of music. And then you had what was happening down in New Orleans with The Meters. And the Meters had put out uh, their, introductor, their introduction album, I guess, in, in 1969, followed by uh, what I consider to be the Meters' best album in, uh, in, in the same year that the Funkadelic's first album came out. Uh, in jazz music, you had uh, Miles Davis put out Bitches Brew, which is extremely psychedelic. You also had a lot of things that were happening in rock music. Jimi Hendrix had put out Band of Gypsies. Uh, Frank Zappa put out three albums, including... Uh, an album called Weasels Rip My Flesh, which is something that if you're a Zappa fan, you're probably a fairly big fan of. The Grateful Dead released uh, Working Men's Dead in 1970. Black Sabbath uh, between 70 and 71 had put out three albums. Uh, Led Zeppelin put out Zeppelin III. So there's a lot of things that are happening in music. And the reason that we, I guess, set the, set the stage with what was happening in music is you see all these come together in a really unique way when we dig into the first album.
1: It's crazy to me how much music was changing, and I'm no music historian. You know, between 1960, when what Miles is putting out, Kinda Blue, and 1970, when he's putting out Bitches Brew, and just even in the last couple of years of the 60s, I always thought if I could go relive any musical decade, it would be the 60s, of course, the Beatles. But I don't know, man. The 70s had so much going on, especially early in the 70s. Music was just evolving at a rapid pace. And it's funny, uh, yeah, I'm a New Orleans native. I listened to The Meters for the first time within the last year. Absolutely f- fell in love with it, but I've only heard that self-titled album, so you mentioning the one from the next year in 1970 is wet my appetite, but we're definitely kind of in the same sphere uh, with Funkadelic here, but Funkadelic is just doing, I'm assuming insane things that were not being done by anyone else in 1970 when they put out their self-titled album.
0: Right. And that was, that was something that was really apparent if you read early reviews of the first album, people called it all types of crazy things. They called it lazy music Basically, some people said that it was unlistenable. So this was coming, uh, this was coming to people in a way that was not, um, not the status quo by any means. And I think that you know, once we started listening to it, the fact that it was not status quo was very apparent. And to be honest, I don't know that there's anything ever since then that has done exactly what Funkadelic did.
1: And this is probably a good time to you know we're both fish fans literally my George Clinton introduction other than you know just knowing him from kind of popular culture growing up in the 90s uh, was that fish show I think it was December 30th 2003 down in Miami he came out on stage and they played like a 20 minute medley but it was it was I think P funk as most people know it is a little more of the parliament and a little less of the funkadelic parliament's kind of you know his his funk half and it seems like funkadelic is kind of the rock and roll half that has more things going on that are appealing to my ear but i didn't know a ton about george clinton it's like when you discover a band and you just fall in love with them instantly and you want to tell everyone about it but there's no one around you that you can really tell which is one of the reasons you know i was totally down starting a podcast with you because i need to talk about this but it was one of those things where you're like i don't just like this like i love 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 this from the opening track of 1970s self-titled you know funkadelic debut that like that groove is just it's incredible and it just goes and goes and goes such a great start to such a great album
0: start out the Funkadelic yeah. album. The funny thing to me, I was out in my driveway shoveling snow and listening to it. And I know that I've heard this album before. Um, there are a couple of albums in the catalog that I have known about and been very familiar with for over 20 years, I would say. This one was one that I believe that I've heard before, but I never listened to it with the intent of really like deeply listening to it until we decided to do this for the podcast. I was outside shoveling snow. And that groove came on, and I just stopped and listened to listen to what was happening for the nine minutes that it went on, and I was like, "Wow, we we really we really picked a great band to do this with." Because the album just kept it. It started out strong, it stayed strong, it was great all the way through. It just, I really loved it.
1: Yeah, and to be fair, you picked a great band for us to dive into here. I mean, just to paint the picture of of uh, the self titled debut album Funkadelic from 1970 the guitar and the bass are incredible I mean it's not just what they're playing but it's also how good they sound it sounds like you're like miniaturized and you're just riding along on the bridge of the guitar or the bass like you can feel you can feel the music and it's the same with the drums it's almost like you know your ears are two inches away from the drum heads Uh, so it's very like visceral and kind of Physical and intimate, and it really draws you in. And I think that's part of the allure. Uh, Of course, (laughs) there's also like this weird, almost sun raw kind of like outer space, funky, totally out there for 1970, I'm assuming, kind of sexy vibe that punctuates a lot of Funkadelic's work. But when you take this album as a whole, you know to me it definitely feels like the start of something really big and really good but it almost comes across as like a historical document for the next 50 years of rhythm and blues and hip-hop and just so much popular music that people don't think about twice now that I feel like even if we're not aware of how or why like really owes a lot to, to what was going on with this album
0: well, and that was one thing that I think that both of us really tuned into right away was how many people have clearly been influenced by this music. One of the things that I found really interesting about the band was I can't really think of a better example of a band that has, with their name, described what their music is so on point. You know, it is psychedelic funk music. And there was psychedelic music that was going on at the time. There was funk music that was going on at the time. Like Sly and the Family Stone was was happening you know, right in their heyday at this time. So funk was happening. The meters were happening. And there was plenty of psychedelic music that was out there. You know, the Beatles had put out uh, Sergeant Peppers a couple of years before this. Not only that, you had Miles doing Bitches Brew and some of the others that that we've talked about. So these came together in such a really unique way. And I 100% agree with what you said. It is the groove that you get into right away with these albums. It's the rhythm section. And later on, what some of the other musicians add to it really brings some of the psychedelic rock elements into it. But the baseline of all of it is just a deep, deep groove that you just cannot help but move your body to when you're listening to it.
1: I don't know if I've ever listened to music where there are so many earworms. I feel like on at least uh, each of the albums we'll talk about going forward, there are one or two songs that just burrow into your brain and you're, you know, grooving to yourself at seven o'clock the next morning. You're not even listening to the music. It's, you know, so wild that way. Uh, Me, growing up in uh, rural South Central Pennsylvania, uh, not the biggest hip-hop head, but I (laughs) came across this random album from this random group called Gravediggers, which is RZA's from Wu-Tang's side project in like 93 or 94, and there was a track called uh, Mommy, What's a Gravedigger?, and right away, I recognized the first track, Mommy, What's a Funkadelic, from you know this 1970 album that we're talking about. I was like, oh, bingo. All right. Fantastic.
0: <laughs> so, Justin, I have to ask you, Justin, what's a Funkadelic?
1: <laughs> Great question. And as we learn, uh, as the album goes on, uh, especially the closing track, I mean, funk is... The ring around the bathtub funk is, or soul is the ring around the bathtub. Uh, It it can be anything and it can be everything. It's this uh, almost magical quality that we've learned from George Clinton that kind of lives within us. We've each got a funky spirit deep inside. Even if you're like me and you grew up amongst the farm fields and cow pastures of Pennsylvania, there's some funk in there.
0: Well, And and it's funny because one of the things that I thought was highlighted throughout, especially the first three albums, there's a lot of mysticism that's going on in these in these albums. And they're actually when you kind of dig past some of the lyrics and some of the way that the lyrics are presented are done so in a way that that doesn't seem super serious but when you listen to what they're actually saying you're like wait a second this is some pretty heavy stuff and there's several examples that they you know and I know that we have some notes later on that we'll get into about this but there's several examples where they're dropping some serious knowledge in here and uh, I think it's funny that you know that's part of what you know that's part of I think that they are trying to define what Funkadelic is with the first cut on the first album and boy do they do a great job with it
1: yeah apparently Funk Funkadelic is is just that sort of effortless groove that you wish would go on forever and ever and ever. Uh, And it is interesting. That's a great point that I'm sure we'll highlight with specific examples, but there are upbeat songs in their catalog. And when you listen to the lyrics and when you look up exactly what the lyrics are saying, the words belie the vibe that the music gives you. And then there are also, uh, you know, on the flip side examples where it's a happy song lyrically and then musically it's just, sounds incredibly strange and and out there so i don't know this to be true but i would imagine that they probably funkadelic have not gotten the the credit for the weight of some of of what they're saying because you know the easiest takeaway is just oh man this this grooves this makes me want to like bob my head and just kind of like tap tap my fingers and my feet so the instrumentation the guitar especially is so good i mentioned it sounds like you're kind of riding along with the guitar but it's 1970. You know, George Clinton was a doo-wop artist in just a few years earlier. I mean, he was literally kind of like working, working on the, the line of Motown music, writing songs, trying to get other bands to sing them. He had his own band, The Parliaments, which became Parliament. Um, but this allows them the ability to kind of slide into Motown moments. And this is something they'll do across these nine albums. But the combination of just the searing guitar and then these inspired Motown choruses is just like such a great synergy between two different musical elements. And then I'll bet you track two, they really kind of kind of make that happen. And it sounds really, really easy. I agree. I absolutely love this track. i the, red, I the mail, and I bet you i And I bet
0: you. It's so difficult for me to say that I had a favorite on this album because, honestly, basically all of them were a favorite. With I Bet You, though, the guitar and bass line in combination are the kind of groove that sticks with you for hours after you listen to it. And as soon as I heard you say the words, I bet you... The chorus and the music starts going on in my head. It's exactly like you're like you're talking about. I don't know if everybody can relate to this, but almost every day I wake up and I have a song in my head, and it's just kind of background music that plays in my head. And since we've started doing this, a couple of the tracks on this album have just been there in the morning, and they and they've kind of stayed with me. This music it just rattles around in my brain, and you know this is this is the kind of thing that. If there would be a way to to duplicate this and and creative in different ways, I would be all for it. And this genre of music is just something that, after I moved to New Orleans, you're a New New Orleans native. I lived in New Orleans for several years. This was, I guess, the the sound of of funk and this type of, of of rhythm and rhythm section and these bass lines and these drum beats and things like that are all over New Orleans. And it was something that I really really loved about the city. And I think that my introduction to Funkadelic that happened well before I ever moved to New Orleans, it was a great primer for me to end up in that city and be able to see, um, you know, George Porter Jr. at the Maple Leaf once a week playing with the trio. And, you know, it's something that it's just it's just really amazing music. And it's something that it kind of when, when a lot of people think of New Orleans, they think about. A lot of the brass bands that are there, which they should, because the brass bands of New Orleans are, are, you know, second to none. But this is some of the stuff that I think of is some of the, I guess, kind of the and it talks about it later in the album, some of the raw funk that you're that you're experiencing in this album. You definitely experience in New Orleans as well.
1: And there is this sort of southern fried country tinge to a lot of what's going on with Funkadelic, which is interesting because, you know, George Parliament. I think he lived in Toronto for a while. I mean, he was living in Detroit, working, like, literally doing the Motown thing. You know, they're all from uh, New Jersey. New Jersey. Uh, Yeah, fellow Jersey boys. Uh, But, like, in track three, music from my mother, even just listening to the the vocalized uh, groove and the instrumentation, it feels like you were riding on a horse or, like, a wagon through the country, like, through the Mississippi Delta just by the sounds that they are making. And that's really, really cool. And that's another groove that is kind of like infectious and, and just sticks with you. And it's just the treble guitar tone that I just really love so much It's so good. And he references Mississippi in the lyrics, and it's almost like an origin track uh, where he's you know talking about way back yonder funk. Uh, And it's just the perfect combination of the guitar and the drums and the, the sounds overall that are being made that you feel like it's a hot, humid day and you are somewhere in the country in Mississippi that you've never been before.
0: And one of the things that I picked up from it too is, you know, he names the town Keep Running Mississippi,
1: right? Man, I was
0: in a place called Keep Running Mississippi one time. And I heard someone on my way by Sound a little something like raw funk me So I slowed down and took a listen and So this is I 1970. Hear, you know, the Civil, Rights, uh, the Civil Rights era is very much, you know, this is very much happening at the time. So, you know, to be black musicians in Mississippi, I, I, the, the vibe that I got from it was what he was saying, was that the groove that he heard as he was running by was, was so good and it was so raw that he had to stop, you know, he had to stop and risk it to go, you know, to go and listen to what was going on, you know, like that kind of, I guess that kind of attachment to music. So, you know, they make it very clear right away that they, they, these, these are, these are musicians who, who deeply care about the music that they're playing. Even when some of the things come across, I guess is, perhaps a little silly at times because of the way that that some of the lyrics and things are delivered. But boy, they're, I think they're deadly serious when, with what they're doing.
1: Yeah, and there's not a lot of camp in this first album, but some of the later albums that we'll talk about do get a bit campy. But, you know, we're the we're the Fish fans here. So it's like we certainly can't dismiss a band's musicality or like what they are achieving just because, you know, they might have some lyrics about a far off a place called game hinge with lizard people and, you know, fly famous mockingbirds. So we'll, we'll definitely permit some of the campy lyrics and we'll get into those a little later on. <laughs> I loved, I love how it sounds kind of like Jimi Hendrix in a lot of spots across uh, many of these albums. And, you know, we'll, we'll fawn over Eddie Hazel ad nauseum coming up here. Um But it sounds like sped up Jimi Hendrix, like Voodoo Child, Slight Return in track four. I got a thing. You got a thing. Everybody's got a thing. And it goes with that upbeat kind of Motown chorus. But then you throw in the drums and it's just bonkers. It's like if Motown got together with Jimi Hendrix, got together with like uh, John Bonham from Led Zeppelin. I feel like sometimes, you know, in peak funkadelic, that's what you're getting. And I think that's what you're getting here in track four
0: in these albums there it's going to be difficult not to talk about every track and some of them this was another one where just the the groove is just it just becomes part of your dna as soon as you hear it
1: i want to skip ahead a couple of tracks and talk about the final track what is soul and it kind of feels like a callback to the opening track which we mentioned kind of had an otherworldly vibe it's totally weird but i feel like Uh, We call back to that opening track with uh, the end track, What Is Soul? And, you know, you've got the otherworldly lyrics, but you've also got this, like, ethereal, almost angelic kind of chorus. And it just sounds so good. And like we mentioned, you know, soul apparently is everything, John. Soul is that ring around the bathtub. Soul is that new shiny USB mic you got to record this podcast. Soul is all around us, my friend.
0: Soul is a ham hock in your cornflakes, I believe.
1: <laughs> so we've got all of these things kind of happening, and it's just a—it's just a great album. Uh, and we'll talk about kind of the hierarchy of of, of these albums uh, a little later on. But wow, I mean, you know, we always say a band spends its entire life, you know, sort of writing their first album, and then they hit, and then it's like, oh. We got to come up with some new stuff. I and mean, I think it was a little different with George Clinton since he was you know, a working musician for the decade before this. But they come out of the gates just crushing and they don't wait very long to get in to their next album. The prolific nature of not only Funkadelic, but also Parliament, and just George Clinton in general is mind boggling for me. If I had written this, I would have taken a couple years off. I would have been like Pearl Jam last episode. Like, yeah, we wrote the album. It was hard. We toured, we took a year off and okay, I guess let's get back together and come up with something. They waited a few months before they went back into the studio here.
0: When I think about when I think about these albums and I think about what was happening, I do think it's important to, to, to mention that, you know, the sister band to Funkadelic is Parliament and it's a lot of the same musicians, Parliament and Funkadelic, Basically, they're they're almost like two halves of George Clinton's brain. You have the one half that is that's going to be a little bit more R and B and soul heavy that happens in, in Parliament, and then you have the the other half that's a little bit more psychedelic and rock and roll that happens that happens in Funkadelic. And these things are happening at the same time. And when you look at the timetables of when albums are released, it's not just a Funkadelic album that comes out in seventy one and seventy three and seventy four. Parliament albums are coming out the same year also. So to say that George Clinton is is prolific. Is almost a reckless understatement. I mean, he is really producing just a ton of music, and I think that that was partly kind of how things were done a little bit more at the time. Just to, I guess to kind of put a bow on on this on this first album, it really it evokes just tons of feelings for me. I immediately liked it the first time that I heard it, and listening to it through this time, the rhythm section is just incredible. And the other thing that I, that really came to me very strongly when I was listening to this album and I kept thinking it over and over again, again, I'm back in the driveway, shoveling snow. And uh, what I kept thinking was, you know, like you can smell this album. And I mean that in the sense that the way that it's recorded and the overall feeling and, and I guess kind of vibe of the album, it puts you in the room. And to me, it's like, I can almost, like I had a vision of what the room looked like you could like, it's this smoky room and you can kind of, you can kind of see what's happening and there's musicians and gear and stuff everywhere. And to me, like it put me right in that spot listening to it. And that's to me, a very, a a really rare thing in music to listen to it and feel like that you're in the room that it's being recorded in. So I don't know if that was something that was done intentionally or not, but, but it was just a really neat thing for me and something that I really enjoyed about this album.
1: I think it speaks to a, almost a lack of ego to where like, it really feels like you were getting the, the raw kind of unfiltered musical intent of George Clinton and the musicians here on this album. And there's not like a, a sheen or like a layer you have to peel away before you can really kind of soak up what they're going for. Like it's, it's just out there on the table. And I think maybe that's tied into some of the spirituality that, they talked about and that we'll get into in the next couple of albums, but that's something that, you know, and I've just occurred to me, it's, it's, you know, for a collective really with so many musicians and this is not like a four piece, uh, but the lack of ego that comes across, I think is pretty special. And you know, that's something that we could all probably take away with us in our, in our everyday average lives. We don't have to have these conceits because they certainly didn't when they were recording this, or it would have come out probably way different.
0: I agree. And, you know, in looking at this, there were 16 musicians that, uh, that have credits on this album. And one thing that is something that has to be mentioned about, about Funkadelic is that they very, I don't think that there's any two albums that have the exact same lineup on there. There's a couple of musicians that are, for most albums are kind of, you know, through and through George Clinton being, being one of them. Eddie Hazel is on a bunch of the, of of the, especially the first albums. And then he takes a couple of albums off because of some personal things he was going through and then, and then comes back, um, you know, Bernie Worrell, who is just an unbelievable keyboard player. And I think that, you know, I think classically trained and, you know, and then, and then Tiki Fullwood, the drummer, what he's doing on these albums is just incredible. And, you know, and, and there's so many other people and, I think that it's something that we have to mention how many musicians contributed to this. It's going to be impossible to go through lists of personnel without having a seven hour podcast, but there's a lot of people that are contributing to this. And I think that that does speak to exactly what you're talking about. You can't have an ego and then invite 15 people to, to to be on your, your debut album.
1: You're not a control freak if, you know, you've got this constantly rotating cast. But this band, uh, you know, how deep do you want to get? We could probably talk forever about this first album because it's amazing. But I think we should move on to 1970 again, just a couple months later. Free Your Mind. The actual title of the album goes on a little bit longer. And right away, I was like, oh, En Vogue, Free Your Mind, and what is even the En Vogue line? And the rest and the will rest follow? the rest will follow. Okay, so a, yeah, a little more of a PG-friendly version of what George Clinton had going on. But this album, even though it's only a few months removed, you can hear some of the changes. Like it's a little more distorted instead of, like I had talked about, feeling like you're riding on the pickups of the guitar. Or you're sitting on the head of the drum. It feels like you're inside the amp. And it's turned way up, and that is just where the microphones happen to be to record this. It's overblown in some spots, and I think that's probably purposeful. They tackle so many different topics. It's like they got warmed up, and now they're ready to really cover some stuff. We talk about spirituality, money and its perils. There's a barn-burning blues number that reminded me of Freddie King. Uh, there's a slow breakup tune that sounds like it was recorded underwater, and then there's a demented album wrapping spoken word prayer that you know your mom would be like, "What are you listening to? This doesn't sound good." And it was recorded <laughs> supposedly in a day uh, under the influence of certain substances. But this is an explosion of sounds, but also an explosion of ideas.
0: And, you know, I would take it a step further. It's like, not only do you sound like you're inside of the amp, but, you know, at a certain point, I feel like you sound like you're kind of swimming in the mind of George Clinton and of the mind of the other musicians as you're listening to this. So a couple of things worth noting about this album is that uh, according to legend, the entire album was conceived under the influence of LSD. And it's something that if the album sounds a little bit more psychedelic than basically everything else that they do, that would be the reason behind it. Um, You know, during this period, you know, it's just, it's just worth mentioning that psychedelic drugs were, you know, really had an enormous influence on, on several different genres of music. We've already talked about what Miles was doing at the time. You know, we know what the Beatles had done, you know, right before that you have Jimi Hendrix. I mean, there's just a lot of bands that are, that are taking, I think the, the concept of psychedelics and using that as a way to get to a different creative space. And that's kind of what comes through here. Um, you know, and then in rock music, you have you know what's going on with funkadelic is happening in New York and New Jersey, and then you know you go to the other side of the country, and Jefferson Airplane and the Grateful Dead are out in San Francisco doing something that's very similar, I guess, from from an approach standpoint, but just just with wildly different results. You know, where it comes out more as. As, you know, either just just very consistent rock music or, you know, or uh, I guess kind of a different level of folk music that's happening at the time.
1: And don't you think it's kind of wild that, of course, you know, The Dead were at their most psychedelic uh, in the mid to late 60s and the 1970 hits and The Dead take almost this country tilt with Working Man's Dead and American Beauty and they're kind of literally going in a more folk direction but just how much music was evolving at this point in time and the fact that like you mentioned you know this album was deemed unlistenable or the the debut album was deemed unlistenable like they were just doing stuff that to me and grateful dead probably my favorite band if it's if it's not fish who knows maybe it's funkadelic now but they were doing stuff that makes 1970s grateful dead feel quaint and just adorable to me in a way that this <laughs> funkadelic feels like ooh right, this is like some real stuff you know let's let's push this other stuff aside for just a little bit uh but that's how far out it was and the title track you know which we all know now from in vogue and it takes a couple of minutes to get going. And they do still have these weird kind of sexy outer space vibes that they carried over from parts of the debut album. But what I love about it is that overblown sound we mentioned, the keys are overblown. uh, The guitar kind of sounds overblown and they're still able, even though it's a bit restrained to really push that sound out there in this opening track.
0: Yeah. You know, and and I think that one thing that is also very interesting about this is when you're listening to the actual lyrical content of what is going on, it's actually kind of a subversion of Christian views. It's kind of like a more mythical approach to salvation, talking about like the kingdom of heaven is within. Right. So it's like it's within you free your mind and that's the kingdom of heaven. You know, and whether it's intentional or not, then I, you know, I I kind of feel like it is, but whether it's intentional or not, a lot of the themes that he's exploring in this really are very Eastern.
1: And it's interesting, you know, we talk about like this idea of Gnosticism and spirituality lies within. And, you know, you're a bookseller. My wife is a voracious book reader, and she's been into uh, Mary Magdalene, who, you know, we know is like basically a a hanger on of the apostles uh, or, the disciples it's been a minute since i've been an altar boy but at any rate <laughs> she you know published this gospel early on uh, after jesus's death and she was outside the tomb and saw that he wasn't there but she published this gospel as did other people Basically, you know, aligning with those ideas of like, hey, spirituality lies within maybe we could get away from some of the church rules and regulations and orthodoxy. So we talk about this Eastern religious bent, and I think that that's totally true, but it's kind of funny that, you know, perhaps that was also in the origins of early Christianity, we just don't hear about it as much.
0: Well, it, and it's interesting because that's, you know, there's, there's some very popular books that that explore that idea, but it, you know, if I can nerd out for a second and take it, take this into a slightly, you know, into a slightly literary realm, hit me there, there is a book called uh, the Gnostic gospels written by Elaine Pagels. And what she does is goes through the gospel of Thomas and the gospel of Mary Magdalene, which were found. I can't remember if they were a part of the Dead Sea Scrolls or part of the Nag Hammadi library. But they definitely challenge a lot of the traditional Christian views that you that you see presented today, and you know they were deemed, from what I understand at least, they were you know deemed uh, heretical by the by the Nicene Council, and that's why
1: it took us so long to see them. I want to get into. Track two. And these first couple albums, I promise things will breeze along a little more efficiently as we uh, evolve <laughs> into the mid 70s. But like there are a lot of tracks that I just can't pass up here in these first few Funkadelic albums. And Friday night, August 14th. I love the vocal setup in the groove. Uh, It just establishes it perfectly and it's such a great combination of the bass and the Hammond B3 organ and the drums and the vocals. It just all comes together so synergistically and the lyrics are really great too. Uh, I know that I probably should not, matter of fact, I probably could not buy all the good times meant for me it's perfect uh, when you hear it. It just comes across so well and the yeah, 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 yeah. Chorus in the background. It's like joyful noise. And it's just a song that if I were playing this at a dinner party in a post-pandemic world, I would crank it and I would hopefully get some neighborhood dads who'd be like, hey, man, uh, what is this? Be like, dude, we need to have a talk. This is Funkadelic. Come
0: with me. Come with me. <laughs> let, let let me show you the way.
1: Right, Exactly.
0: No, you know, and, and really when you look at what's going on here and I think that you really, I think you kind of nailed it with what you were saying, you know, this is something, this is a celebration of music. When you hear what they're putting down, it's like, this is, it's celebratory, you know, and it's something that you can't, you can't help, but kind of get that vibe from it. Like, you know, even if what they're talking about sometimes is dark or sometimes, you know, takes, it takes kind of a strange turn or even, Explores you know, topics that that you know maybe maybe now wouldn 't would be more taboo to talk about, but when you listen to the music under underneath what 's going on with the lyrics it 's such a celebration, and I think that that 's one of the things that that maybe I love so much about this is how celebratory all of it feels
1: and it 's an interesting callback in that track three Funky Dollar bill is a throwback. Uh, at least sonically to track three of the debut album, which was where we were in the Mississippi Delta kind of cruising along because there's a country influence to Funky Dollar Bill. And my five-year-old, when I was playing this, was like, dude, is is this cowboy music? And then there's this piano that literally sounds like you're in an old saloon, uh, like in the Wild West. So, I mean, the sounds are all over the place. And And even though it sounds a lot different, it does tie into the prior tune where we're talking at least indirectly uh, about money and the lyrics, you know, it'll buy you life, but not true life, the kind of life where the soul is harsh for the dollar bill. I'm going to play the music underneath so it actually sounds cool, but it's a cautionary tale. You know, uh, about worrying too much uh, about money. And, you know, for someone who's telling us about the soul and is within and spirituality lies within, it would make sense that, you know, George Clinton isn't just trying to to make money, (laughs) even though financial issues would sort of hamper the band. It's like a thread that connects Funkadelic across all the albums and across the decades. But love Funky Dollar Bill. I mean, three bangers to start off this album.
0: I think that in Funky Dollar Build, they're still defining what Funkadelic is, you know, where you can bring in, you know, a a piano or organ sound that sounds like something from every Western saloon scene that you've seen in a movie. And you can make that funk, you know, you can bring in a mouth harp and you can make that funk, you know, and, and all the different types of instrumentation and sonic things that they do throughout these albums. And it's still funk. You know, so it's something that I think that, you know, again, whether this was intentional or not, I think that that thread continues from the beginning of the first album with, you know, with what is Funkadelic to the end of the first album with, you know, defining what soul is, you know, and and I guess in a more, in a, a holistic way, soul is basically everything. Right. But this is something where it's like, okay, this is, you know, kind of a kitchen sink approach to to music where it's like, okay, well, this sounds cool. Let's try this out, you know, and let's, and let's bring this in. There's nothing off limits. There's no rules.
1: Does that remind you of a band from Vermont, John, that <laughs> might do things that are crazy, like have can't be orchestrated planned out music, but also learn to sing a barbershop quartet. When you are, you know, really committed to the music, I feel like you want as many tools in your toolbox as possible to communicate those feelings. And that's a connection that I'm going to make between fish and funkadelic. And I think it's apt.
0: I, I agree. And I think that it's something that, you know, it's a connection that I think that you can make with all trailblazers. You know, and that's something that to me, Funkadelic is absolutely trailblazing, you know, what, what the Grateful Dead does or did what Fish does, you know, what other bands do that, that kind of, you know, the Flaming Lips is is another one that really brings in a lot of odd sounds, new time signatures, things like there's, there's so many bands that we could talk about. And hopefully we will, you know, as, as time goes on, these trailblazing bands bring in if it's a sound that they feel like they can use, you know, whether it sounds like country music or whether it sounds like disco, because there's a lot of stuff that sounds a lot like disco coming up, they'll use it because if it's, if it establishes the groove and it, and it keeps the, it keeps it going, then they're going to use it. And it's I think it's, I think it's amazing.
1: Or whether it literally sounds like black Sabbath, as we'll get into a few albums from now. I mean, the heavy metal influence in some of Funkadelic that's sprinkled in is like kind of jaw dropping you're like what they're doing this now oh my gosh this is awesome now because I don't want to fawn over everything uh, I don't want to be critical but free your mind to me does kind of finish uh, on it 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 does coast a little bit in the back half Uh, all the the next three tracks are are great I want to know if it's good to you is you've got that overblown keyboard sound and the drums are crashing and there's like a general haze and it's, it's a good song. I really dug it, but you know, it's, it's less incredible to me than the first three tracks. And then I had mentioned that there is this basically breakup tune. Uh, and I think it's worth noting that, you know, George Clinton could basically still kind of, he wasn't afraid to slow it down and maybe try to write a song that was a little more serious Uh, And it's interesting that I think it's just the vocals being drenched in like a Leslie kind of reverb, but this is the track that sounds like it's kind of underwater. And he's talking about his suffering and his pain from a relationship that didn't work out. And the music fits perfectly perfectly with the lyrics that he's talking about. They don't always do that. You know, sometimes the music is doing one thing and the lyrics are doing another, but they are uh, simpatico here for sure. And then because it's a Funkadelic album, we get a weird, trippy kind of spoken word final track here on Eulogy and Light. And this would be a track that I would probably skip if my mom was in the car with me just because she's a lovely church going woman. Uh, but we do get a little trippy at the end of free your mind here.
0: They do. And and I think that what's going on is I think that this is kind of the, the, this is the track that I was referencing where it's like, you feel like you are swimming inside of George Clinton's head. This to me seems like a stream of consciousness that he has recorded and, you know, you mentioned about about some of the tracks seem, like the the I think it was the fifth track seeming like it was underwater. And when you look at the how these albums are produced and engineered, they sound so much different than everything else that's going on at the time. Could some of that have been because of, you know, that they were under the influence of LSD while they were doing it? Sure. You know, some of it could have been a complete accident that just happened to work but there's not a whole lot of albums where it's allowed, where something is going to completely overblow. It's going to push the limits to the point to where it distorts, but then seem, still seem to work. So the, the production and the engineering on this album is really, really interesting. And then on albums to come up, you know, I know that we're about to get into one of the absolute heavy hitters of Funkadelic's catalog. Some of the ways that some of these, uh, some of these tracks are recorded and in particular, how they record some of the drum tracks it's just amazing. And to me, it's just completely groundbreaking.
1: It sounds incredible. And that's a perfect introduction to what is the most well-known Funkadelic album. You know, like I've mentioned, I have never heard any Funkadelic. So when you said maggot brain at the end of our last podcast, I I was thinking like bad brains, some eighties punk or something. I, I didn't know what maggot brains maggot brain was but i mean this is even though we disagree about it uh, for me this is the cream of the crop this is the penultimate album where this is funkadelic in a nutshell and they are just barnstorming uh through uncharted territory here it's incredible and as you've mentioned i mean this was pretty critically well received at least it is now i'm not sure how it was taken in the moment but if you're talking Funkadelic, this to most people is what you're talking about.
0: I think that most people have at least heard of this album if they haven't heard it in its entirety. While this is not my favorite of Funkadelic's catalog, um, it's my second favorite of the, of the catalog. I will never, ever underestimate the greatness of this album because to me, this album is a perfect 10. It really is. This is a Desert Island album on the, on the collection of records that you're taking with you. You know, like this one and and one that we'll get into from 1974 are the two that, you know, honestly, they're, they're essentially for me interchangeable. And when you get into the opening track of Maggot Brain, the solo that Eddie Hazel plays at the beginning of this album is without mincing words. It's one of the finest pieces of music that I've ever heard before recording this, according to legend. George Clinton, and there's a lot of different versions of the story, but essentially the story is, is that George Clinton's instructions to Eddie Hazel were play this solo. Like somebody just told you that your mother has died. And to me that comes across so well to me, this is, this solo is so good at evoking emotion. When you listen to it, that this is Beethoven's moonlight sonata. This is Chopin's funeral March. This is something where, you are instantly transported into the emotion of the player who's playing it, and I know that I'm not alone in that assessment. When you read about Maggot Brain, and, and I, you and I both went online and did a lot of research, you know, for this, there is one article. I want to I want to say that I want to say it was Rolling Stone, but maybe maybe not. Regardless, of what the article talks about, Eddie Hazel's solo in Maggot Brain is one of the best pieces is one of the best pieces of music ever recorded on any instrument, and I agree with that. One hundred percent it's perfect I could I could go on and on and on and on, but you know what was your take on on the on maggot brain
1: well, let's listen to it first let's give people a snippet here. Salt Eddie Hazel. This reminded me of Eddie Van Halen on his best day, and I'm I'm not like a huge Van Halen guy. I've listened to stuff, and it's 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 fun. It's it's great. The guitar playing is incredible, but it's just an emotional, soul wrenching solo. And I like how it's broken up in two parts. It's a long track, and there's like a little bit of a quiet interlude in in the middle. Uh, And it kind of reminded me. Riley Walker, the indie guitarist, you know, because they'll come out with these albums that are like 40 minutes long and it's basically just like two long jams. And with a lot of this kind of noise indie rock that I love, you're not in a hurry to get from point A to point B. It's all about you know how how you get there and the little detours that you can take and Eddie Hazel is not in a hurry here it's wild to me that there's a bonus track that you can listen to uh with the the bass and the keys and the drums kind of brought back up in the mix because when George Clinton produced this he dropped those instruments way way down which is why it's essentially just an Eddie Hazel guitar track and it's less potent when it's more of a four-way conversation the way that it is on the album what we played where it's mainly focused on him is incredible and you know he's a guitarist guitarist ween has a song uh, on chocolate and cheese right before roses are free called uh uh what was Year for it eddie called? i believe right yeah tear for eddie called tear for eddie uh, great great song uh, John Frusciante of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, 2009, he, uh, he's done a lot of solo work, and there's a track that you can find on streaming services called Before the Beginning, and that's a pretty faithful, patient homage to Maggot Brain. Uh, Nick Cave, uh, who you know, we wouldn't necessarily think of, uh, at least I wouldn't think of when I think about Funkadelic and Eddie Hazel, but he said Eddie Hazel is one of his favorite guitarists of all time, bar none, so this album is buoyed by the genius that's on display right from the get-go.
0: Nick Cave talks about Eddie Hazel being one of his favorite guitar players. And for me also, Eddie Hazel is absolutely, you know, one of the absolute all-time greats to me is, is one of the guitar players that I think that, that doesn't get, you know, quite the, quite the love that he deserves, even though, even though there are plenty of people that absolutely adore what he's done. You know, it's the kind of thing that, when I found out and researched that he uh, that he's actually buried a couple of miles from one of my stores, I was like, I should go, you know, like, I don't know what I would say. I don't know why I would be there, you know, like, but I feel like I should just go, you know what I mean? And just like, you know, tip the old cap to the, you know, to the guy. And I mean, the stuff, the stuff that he just, that he does is just unbelievable. There's a lot of parallels that can be drawn to Jimi Hendrix. I believe that he would cite Jimi Hendrix as being a major influence to my ears i think that you know a lot of the things that that he does i don't i don't know if hendrix could do them and it's not that's not a dig on hendrix i mean hendrix is one of the absolute all-time greats you know he was the one that that came up with the sound but eddie took the sound and did something with it that was that that had not and to my ears had not been done up until that
1: point eddie hazel almost pulls off You know, his Jimi Hendrix influence is definitely obvious. It sounds to me like Eddie Hazel is playing less notes, but perhaps communicating more emotion in his guitar. And, you know, who knows? Maybe that has a lot to do with the fact that he's one part in this larger picture. So there's contrast, whereas with Jimi Hendrix, you know, it was a lot of just, hey, let's listen to Jimi Hendrix. Play the guitar, and of course the the bass and the drums were important. But yeah, if you like Jimi Hendrix and you're like me and you had never heard Parliament, and you'd never, literally never heard Eddie Hazel. Uh, I love having all these blind spots because there are things that I'm going to get to fill in moving into the future here. But it'll just blow your blow your mind away. And then we get into track two. Can you get to that? And it doesn't sound like anything that Funkadelic has done. There's this acoustic guitar intro that I was like, it reminded me of that Black Crows song. I think maybe she talks to angels or something or like the beginning of like a Led Zeppelin song where it's acoustic strumming. And it's only, you know, a couple of seconds here before they kick into the infectious Motown funk groove. but can you get to that uh, is incredible and i think there's a reason that it is the most streamed funkadelic song on spotify like almost twice as many streams as maggot brain which is the second most streamed funkadelic song but it is incredible really
0: wow <laughs> i right? actually i had no idea that i would not have guessed that at all because to me when i listen to this you know maggot brain is I guess it's, it's, it's death, right. It's, you know, it's death in notes. And then it's, and then it's like, there's like a rebirth. And can you get to that where it's just, you know, you go from this really dark, you know, really sad sound that's going on and then it's so uplifting. And can you get to that and such an infectious groove and an acoustic guitar, which they've, they've not done before. And they just do it masterfully. It's just, you know, I can't say enough good things about this album, the transition from maggot brain to can you get to that's perfect.
1: Maggot brain is the funeral service for your family member, your loved one. Can you get to that is an hour later when you're at your aunt and uncle's house and you're having food and the, the stress and the weight of the funeral is behind you. And you can just, you know, tell a joke and smile and and laugh and kind of be be with your loved ones. But it is that contrast between the heaviness of track one and just the light floating nature of track two here. That's really, really impressive. And I once had a life, or should I say a life had me? I don't even know what that means, but it's a philosophy that I can get behind a hundred percent. I'm down.
0: Now it's uh, now we're going to go back to new Orleans again. Because hearing you say that, yeah, I mean, maggot brain is, is somebody has died. And can you get to that's the jazz funeral? You know, it's, it's, a it's, it's back to being a celebration uh, you know, right. That, that's a, a really cool point that you made. I'm, you know, another, another new Orleans connection with, uh, with Funkadelic.
1: Then we get into hit it and quit it, which I'm like, Oh yeah, right. This is also a band that is intent on like, Making sure we have someone to go home with at the end of the <laughs> night, and you you can't keep the sexual overtones of George Clinton, you know, suppressed for, for too too long. But the organ in Hit It and Quit It just makes this band, you know, sound like they're 10 miles tall. And even though they were a huge band with 15, 16 members, uh, it, it sounds like they've got 15 or 16 members in track three. You can
0: another just completely infectious groove and it's something that again the album's a perfect 10 this is this is another example you know and yes there are you know very sexual overtones and a lot of the lyrics that they're talking about but good grief the music is just so good
1: we fast forward to uh let's let's talk about super stupid which i found out today was about eddie hazel playing a show in boston trying to score something before the show, and he didn't get what he was looking for, and he's singing these lyrics and basically, you know, saying like, "I'm so dumb," but is super stupid. Literally, the blueprint for Lenny Kravitz's entire sound and career. It's so heavy, and yet so like it's got that forward leaning groove. Uh, but the guitar and the drums are just perfectly working together. And to illustrate, you know, maybe how heavy it is. Audio Slave covers Super Stupid, and you can find that on your streaming service of choice. But what a great track! I mean, this is, I think, uh, like an illustration of where they're going to go more overtly, albums down the road, where we tap into this hard rock, almost heavy metal kind of an influence.
0: Yes, listening to this, you know, hearing your, your, you know, reading your notes that you put in our spreadsheet about this, and then going back and listening to it, I'm like,
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: It. And I was also very interested to learn recently just how incredible of a, of a musician that he was. I know a lot of his material just because I grew up in the MTV era, but I didn't realize how much he was. I think that he wrote and recorded almost everything himself. And he's, you know, apparently an extremely impressive musician, which I can't say that I'm, I'm shocked by. It's too bad that he got known for, you know, for that giant scarf and for, you know, for a wardrobe <laughs> malfunction. It's <laughs> true because,
1: yeah, I am like you just growing up in the 90s and watching MTV. It's like, that's my Lenny Kravitz. I probably know 10 or 15 Lenny Kravitz songs without even knowing them. Uh, so that certainly wasn't meant as a diss, but it's, that's the kind of energy Uh, that the band is bringing here with Super Stupid.
0: So, yes, and and I do want to go back really quickly to the track before that. And I promise that we're not going to cover every single track on every album, but this album, I feel like, deserves it. When you look at you and your folks and me and my folks, the way that the drums are recorded and the combination of the drums being recorded the way they are with the bass It is absolutely mind-boggling to me. It sounds like the drums were recorded in an echo chamber that was at the bottom of a very deep and very large well, and a mic was just dropped into it and, and recorded from there. It is such a full and just, you know, chest thumping bass drum sound that every time I go back and listen to the, listen to the song, the only thing that I can listen to are the drums and the bass. And that usually is not for me the first place that I go to, but it was something that I picked up on right away. And just, again, I just, I can't find a lot of other things that are recorded in this way. So the way that this was engineered is, is just mind boggling to me. And I think that it adds so much to the song because the because the the rhythm section is recorded the way that it is
1: it reminded me of that song in the summertime and it took me a few minutes to cuz i know that awful lyric if her daddy's rich take her out for a meal uh by mungo jerry <laughs> like do you remember yeah. that song yeah, like just yeah. that shuffling like ch-doon, 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 like to yeah. talk about what you were saying but yeah great great drums in you and your folks and me and my folks and then they take another like hard right with back in our minds and they tap into this country fried influence again. And it's I literally was thinking, who is this band? Who isn't this band?
0: Yeah, I think that that's the more apt way to put it. You know, who, who isn't this band? What can they not be?
1: sounds like there's a donkey hee-hawing in part of this track and it's kind of a campy bass and drums and some of that kind of old saloon type piano that we had mentioned
0: i I just want to mention for the record that the fact that we brought up mungo jerry on the podcast in the second episode i think that that's like record breaking
1: that's uh, yeah we need to tap into that mungo jerry uh, yeah absolutely we need all the downloads we need all the mungo jerry fans we can get yeah, leave a rating in uh, in <laughs> Apple Podcasts if you like what you're hearing, Mungo Jerry fans. <laughs> so the final track of Maggot Brain, which Pitchfork Retro actively gave a 10 out of 10. You've said it was it's a perfect 10. Like that, you know, Fetch the bolt cutters. It's up there with the best of the best. I mean, when they do these Sunday reviews and go back and visit old stuff that they never covered before. Oh, the like, soft
0: bulletin too, which I think that both of us really dug.
1: Mm-hmm yeah fan, fantastic uh, but this is that kind of an album even if there are tracks with donkey hee-haws that remind us of mungo jerry in other spots <laughs> but we get in the final track wars of armageddon uh, a lot going on a cowbell groove because of course, you know, got to have that cowbell. Um, it's a thick groove, and there's these like kind of crazed background vocals that sound like a stressed-out dad talking about "I gotta go to work." Um, before this guitar solo and, and organ takeover, and like all the tracks that we we love here, which are most of them, we going to cite the up-tempo groove but it's just so many different things going on. And for like a weird freak out closing track, uh, I feel like this one has a lot of momentum and it's one that like, you kind of dig it when you're listening to it. And it's not just a weird sort of final chapter,
0: I guess to, to sum up uh, maggot brain as, as well as we can, this is something that if you have not heard maggot brain, or if you have not heard maggot brain recently, then you need to remedy that as quickly as possible because this album is perfect.
1: Amen to that.
0: So in 1972 Funkadelic releases an album called America eats it's young. Eddie Hazel is not on this album for the most part. There are some things that he had recorded uh, ahead of time that ended up did that ended up making it to the album, but he was actually in jail because he assaulted a uh, airline stewardess while he was on PCP.
1: You can be a fan of Eddie Hazel's guitar work and musicianship and not a fan of the man and his actions uh, from time yeah. to time. Just a disclaimer.
0: But this album does feature Boots, Bootsy Collins uh, for the first time, who I believe had been on a Parliament album before this and who is somebody, another just Titan that comes out of the of the Funkadelic and Parliament scene. And uh, I believe it's his brother, Catfish Collins, that is the, that's doing most of the guitar work that's on this album. Um, so, you know, welcome to Bootsy Collins, um, you know, uh, just an amazing bass tone that that he has the production of this album to my ears is just much slicker. It's much more commercial sounding, uh, the strings and the vocals sound almost, almost disco to me at at a lot of times, which makes sense because it's 1972 or a couple of years into the disco era.
1: And I think that because we are existing John in the deeper listening podcast universe, the D L P U. We can reference episode one and Pearl jam. Is this lightning bolt because we've got strings and we're like a little more overly produced here. You know, they've got a lot to say and there are some just humongous takeaway tracks that actually make me really, really love America eats. It's young, but you're right. The sound has evolved. Uh, The hazy craziness of the first three albums kind of gone. It's polished. There's even more Motown. It sounds a bit more commercial. Uh, the lyrics are more direct they've got topics to tackle songs address things like what's good what's right trying to get people to wake up uh, you know issues of social consciousness but the album moves from country funk early to church-like vibes. Of course, it's got some fun, sexy tracks. There's some weird, eerie spoken word. We go back to country, back to chaotic Motown funk. I mean, so many moods, so many genres, and they're all you know at the fingertips of George Clinton.
0: So I'm going to answer your question about whether or not this album is Lightning Bolt, and the answer to that is an emphatic no, because this is a good album. (laughs) (laughs) And Lightning Bolt was not great, but... It is, it is in the sense that, you know, they're trying out some new stuff. Right. And, but I feel like the stuff that they're trying out mostly works. Whereas on, on lightning Bolt, I felt like the stuff that they were trying out mostly didn't. So, so that's, that's my answer to that question is that, is that no, because this album is still, is still, I mean, how many bands would just, would just, you know, sell off body parts to write an album that was like this
1: yeah and we ranked these, and this ended up you know in the in the uh, the lower half, but I mean that comes with an outrageously huge caveat in that I love most of this album. Something you need to know about me, John. I played the violin from fourth grade through all of high school, so I was in the pit orchestra, I think three times in high school, and track one you hit the nail on the head, made me think about playing an overture. Before the curtains are drawn on your high school musical and you're covering different themes that will be snippets of songs that are going to come up over the course of the next few hours. But you hit the nail on the head, starts with upbeat with Nick Hayes, and then we just go right into a country fried groove, then we pivot into uptempo Motown funk, uh, we lose the... Overblown guitar because Eddie Hazel is in a very appropriately deserved timeout. If you like Fish in 1997, I think some people do. This to me feels like the ceiling that Fish was aiming for, and that the rhythmic funk guitar playing, Tree's great at that. He's an incredible rhythmic guitar player. But they are nailing that sound here, it's just so good.
0: And I don't wanna I don't wanna to talk too too much about fish because, you know, that could I take do. us in well, I know, but I mean it, it could just take <laughs> us in the in the into a land that we can't come back from. But What I will say is one of the things that I thought about listening to maggot brain through for this project was like, man, this would have been such a cool cover album. And for those of you that don't know, and that are not fish fans, you know, something that's important to know is that one of the things that fish does is for their Halloween show, or at least have done is that they will take an album and they will cover it in its entirety. And uh, that's been done with uh, Talking Heads album. It's been done with the Beatles. It's been done with uh, Velvet Underground and with uh, The Who and several other bands. And uh, I thought about with Maggot Brain. I was like, man, I bet they could have had a lot of fun with this one.
1: We should look up when they were doing Indio back in two thousand. nine, whenever that, whenever, when they came back, uh, when they ended up playing Exile on Main Street from the Rolling Stones, you know how they were teasing on their website, like 50 albums and basically getting rid of one each day. I wonder if Maggot Brain was was on that list.
0: I, you know, I, I, I would be interested to know that because I, I think that this is something, I mean, obviously it would be a, uh, it would be a big undertaking for anybody to try to do what they did on that album. But if anybody could do it, it's them.
1: That would be incredible. I, I, I don't know how many... F- and maybe it's just because I didn't know Maggot Brains and I didn't know Funkadelic, but I've, I, I don't know, man. I feel like a lot of Fish fans, this is going to be a good primer for them and a good introduction. So let's head into track two. If you don't like the effects, don't produce the cause. Getting back into this like moral, like, hey, we, we've got something to say here. We're going to say it directly. The lyrics, you can make a change if you accept the blame. But it avoids being preachy just because the music is so, so good. This, with the strings, I was, this is when I felt lightning bolt. But (laughs) this reminds me of what I think in my brain the band Chicago sounds like. I haven't listened to a ton of Chicago. I don't know if they actually sound like this, but that's kind of the vibe that I got here. That's how polished it was.
0: You know, I've listened to the first to take a small diversion. I've listened to, uh, I think at the beginning they were called the Chicago Transit Authority. And they had like a lot of brass and stuff going on. And I remember listening to their first couple of albums and being like, wow, you know, I remember because my sisters, I have two sisters that are, that are six and 10 years older than me. And my belief that was my oldest sister was at least, at least somewhat into Chicago for a while. And I do have to give a shout out to both of my sisters for being hugely influential in and in introducing me to new music. Some of the things that, that I love so much now, I would, I would have never even had a nodding acquaintance with, if it wasn't for them.
1: Well, and contrast that with me, who is the oldest of a large family, and we have been rewatching some classic Disney films with our two- and five-year-old on Friday nights. And it uh, turns out I still know all the words to the movie and all the songs in Aladdin, as well as Beauty and the Beast. And I was a little too old for that, but that's just the price to pay when you're the <laughs> oldest and you've got younger siblings. So it cuts both ways, but thanks to your sisters for making you cool, so then you could get me hip to the good stuff. So
0: thank you for allowing that diversion. I would you know, like to go into the next track really quickly and talk about, you know, everybody's going to make it this time. Sonically to me, it, uh, the, the song sounds like the sixties never even happened. It's a fun song, but I think that, um, I think that it might've actually even received a little bit of radio play. Uh, But for me, personally, that that particular track is not really what I listen to Funkadelic for. Uh, To me, it almost seemed like it was meant to be either a George Clinton doo-wop song or or perhaps even an early Parliament song that ended up on the album. And then you get into the next track, which is a joyful process. And to me, this sounds a little bit more like there's maybe some disco that's creeping in. Um, I'm actually cool with it. Uh, what, what Bernie Worrell is doing is uh, On keys is on display And I love the way that it sounds And I think that what I'm picking up Is that there's a little bit of phaser That's been put into the hi-hat Which to me kind of gives it a little bit of that, of that disco flavor
1: Those two tracks Gave me that church-like vibe That I mentioned at the beginning of the album And you're right. Everybody's going to make it this time. Sounds like it's from the fifties and not the sixties and certainly not the early seventies. And when you really listen to them or you look them up, this is one of those instances where the lyrics have a lot of weight. (laughs) This is basically a reduction of uh, therapy uh, in a nutshell. There are lines about our mothers and fathers had lives to live. And today is proof that mistakes were made, but there's not a doubt in my heart that they've done the best that they knew how to do. Like, that's an incredible takeaway and that you know evokes feelings of of love and you know seeing the the best efforts in those around you and just the fact that it's kind of a toss away sort of old fashioned song here is you know a testament to how much else is going on musically
0: and isn't it interesting how differently you look at your childhood and how you grew up and the lessons that you learned and the things that were going on when you have kids of your own and you're like, Oh man, I have no idea what I'm doing. And then you think about your parents and you're like, Oh, they didn't have any idea what they were doing either. I thought they had it all together. You know? So is isn't that interesting how, how that works out, you know, and that, and that I agree that really does come through in this song.
1: And hopefully our kids will be uh, as forgiving as perhaps uh, we are with, you know, hindsight and wisdom and, and middle age looking in the rear view mirror. Track four, uh, Joyful Process, which you mentioned, there is an underlying melody that I recognize, and this is probably what hit me about the church thing, uh, but Jesus loves me, yes, I know, because the Bible tells me so. I don't think they ever say that, but that melody is definitely in this track, but (laughs) then you've also got this funk groove that is Fish 97, and just the combo of keys and rhythm guitar and drums and, and bass, that's incredible music. So even when it's a track that you know I'm not... It's not my favorite on the album it's still really really good.
0: You know skipping ahead a little bit to uh, to Loose booty uh, to that song you know it's kind of a it's kind of an an, an upbeat upbeat song upbeat chorus You know, and and I guess it's kind of maybe maybe a bit campy, like maybe this is where some of the some of the campy lyrics come in. But one thing that I did find interesting is that I immediately picked up on that phrase. And I was like, well, wait a second. That's you know, that's the same phrase that's going on in a meter song that's called Just Kiss My Baby. So I was like, I wonder if that was picked up in other places. And then I thought about it. I was like, wait a second. Sly and the Family Stone have a song called Blue So I looked both of those up and those both came out in seventy four. So, I'm going to say that Sly and the Meters took that turn of phrase from Funkadelic because this album received.
1: Very interesting. And there were definitely instances listening to Funkadelic where I thought, this reminds me of Fill in the Blank. And then I would check the dates. And well, the Funkadelic came first. So, yeah, we definitely do have some trailblazing going on. That's for sure. And some of those campy lyrics it's one of the instances where the music is bright and cheerful and they're literally using like a child's rhyme, eeny meeny miny mo," catch a junkie by the toe to address these darker topics. So mm-hmm. uh, it's, you know, really riding kind of riding the line there.
0: There were very few things also that were lyrically and content wise that were off limits to Funkadelic. There's not a whole lot that they were that they were unwilling to talk about, you know, and I think that that's something that, I think that sometimes was really cool about their music and also something that was, that was also one of the things that I disliked about some of their music was, was, some of the tone that some of the lyrics took.
1: And if we fast forward to America eats its young, the title track, this is like Wars of Armageddon or eulogy in light. Some of the ending tracks on some of the earlier albums, kind of a serious spoken word layers of noisy vocals. Some of it's kind of eerie, I think the lyrics are about mother nature and kind of like a universal energy, but kind of being fed up with humans and how we're prone to self-indulgence and short sightedness. So we're getting kind of that big picture, uh, spiritual kind of universe uh, type topic here in America eats it's young. And you had mentioned this is uh, a little snippet of this is going to come up later uh in, a, in an album that we both really love
0: yeah and that was uh, it was interesting listening to it and i was like oh i, I recognize that spoken word and uh in the track before that is as i call my baby pussycat and it's a slowed down version of a 72 parliament track but one of the things i thought was that i thought was fun about it at least was that i was listening to it and i was like oh i really dig the bass tone and then the guitar solo comes on and i'm like oh listen to listen to catfish collins going off he sounds a lot like eddie hazel so I went and looked it up, and I'll, oh, it actually was Eddie Hazel. So this is this is one of the ones where he actually appeared on the album,
1: which is funny because later on in their discography, uh, we're going to hear guitar and we're going to think that that sounds a lot like Eddie Hazel, but it's not Eddie Hazel. It's Michael Hampton, Michael who Hampton. eventually replaces Eddie Hazel. So yeah, yeah, they. Eddie was something special, so I think uh, you know, the fact that, that he made a surprise appearance on this album is nothing but a good thing I really dug track 10 biological speculation which is, again, it always feels random when they do this, but has this country twang to it This came out a couple years after uh, the Flying Burrito Brothers debut album, uh, The Gilded Palace of Sin. I'm not sure if that's something that's in your wheelhouse, but a lot of like pedal steel, kind of that twangy sound. But they've got that going on in this track, kind of like America Eats It's Young big picture lyrics about man's imperfection within the context of a a larger universe or larger system. And this reminded me of kind of that country tinge that I talked about with the Grateful Dead, you know, in 1970 with American Beauty and with Working Man's Dead. So I think perhaps we underestimate... The country influence that was also pervasive in music across the country in the early 70s. Yeah,
0: I agree. And, you know, that also shows up a lot in um, in the late 60s. And a lot of the things that were happening, a lot of like your Woodstock bands, you know, have a huge folk and country influence that, that, are, that are permeating them. And I think that it's really interesting that Funkadelic picked up on some of that and said, yeah, this is cool. We can use it. So, to move on to the next track, uh, that was my girl. Uh, this is another remake from a from a parliament uh, from a parliament record from from much earlier from nineteen sixty five One thing that really stuck out to me was again the drumming uh, at the end of the track it really it really sticks out as being something that's just like really really cool and funkadelic is one of those bands that when I think about uh, Frank Zappa and what Frank Zappa did, you know he also had a music collective the same way that Funkadelic and George Clinton does, and one of the things that always stuck out to me about Zappa was how great all of the drummers that played with Zappa are, and that's also very, very much the same with what's going on with George Clinton. He understands that the rhythm section is the backbone, and I was really surprised how much I paid attention to the drums and and you know throughout all of these records really. When they're, you know, I always I'm a big fan of of percussion, but it's usually not the first thing that I'm paying attention to. It's usually something that I'll listen to you know, maybe the piano or the guitar or, you know, or strings or something like that, you know, usually I guess stringed instruments will be things that I'll, that I'll pick up on first. And then we'll look back more to, you know, to the, to the backbeat, but with, with Funkadelic, it's like, I immediately go to the drums. I believe it's still Tiki Fullwood that's playing, that's playing on this record.
1: Yeah, I think you're right there. And then we sort of have a more traditional kind of Motown influence to the last couple of tracks here on America Eats It's Young. Was this a double album? Do you know? I mean, we're we're up to 14 tracks. I have to assume that it was a big one. But Balance, track 12, has that traditional Motown sound but it also addresses some of the topics uh, of the prior tracks about kind of the conflict of of humans in the natural system and whether that system is even safe and sane in the first place the chorus balance is my thing the sun the snow the wind and rain must come but then the track ends out of balance as the chorus and the music get wilder and wilder So it's just kind of cool how sometimes they use music, sometimes they use lyrics to communicate whatever feeling or thought that they're trying to get across.
0: And, you know, for for me personally, I did like this album. I did did enjoy this album, but if I'm going to listen to Fuckadelic, this is not going to be one of the first ones that I return to. I think that I'm going to go to the first three and then, you know, know, we'll, we'll talk about some of the others. But, uh, but this is probably not one of the first ones that I'm, that I'm going to go back to. But I think that this was probably a little better received by you than it was by me.
1: Yeah, I just like some of the highlights on on this one, to be honest. And yeah, I had a, a runtime of almost 70 minutes, so it's over an hour. And uh, the track listing would suggest that it was at least a, a double LP. But uh, yeah, I mean, there here we are on, what would this be, our fourth album since 1970 and yeah we are just cruising along cranking out the content
0: so it looks like because our runtime is running a little bit long uh we've loved these albums so much that we really have a lot to say about them looks like we're going to put this out as a two-part so this will be the end of part one of our Funkadelic uh, Now series. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to the podcast and feel free to leave a review. We have read the five reviews that have been left so far and we very much appreciate them. You can also find us on Twitter at Listen Deeper or on Instagram at Deeper Listening Podcast. We'd love to know what you think, what you like, what you don't, and we'll look forward to talking to you next time. I'd also like to say thank you, as always, to the incredible Thomas Wing for our theme music. Get into a better mood indeed, and how better to do that than with Funkadelic. Check out his Bandcamp page at blackoutmakeout.bandcamp.com. There will be a link in the show notes. We'll talk to you next time.